Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and we have a very exciting guest and topic today. But first, I want to let everybody know that the registration period for the Global Connected Aircraft Summit 2020 is now open. You can register for the summit at www.gcasummit.com. We also upload all of the podcast episodes there and look out for the agenda for next year coming up soon as well. We've also made some changes to the advisory board to the Global Connected Aircraft Summit, which are reflected on the website as well. Uh, Without any further introduction, let's get into today's interview. Today we have a very exciting guest. His name is Bruce Johnson. He is the Director of Aircraft Operations for the Flying Eye Hospital. Bruce, how are you doing today? Great. Uh, It's good to be with you. Thanks. So, Bruce, we like to really start out for our audience to try to get some background on the guest and sort of learn how you got into the position that you're currently in and sort of what are your sort of day-to-day type of responsibilities with your organization. So you are the director of aircraft operations for Orbis and you all operate the world's only flying eye hospital. So you can, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and sort of how you got into this position and what are your, your primary role with, with Orbis is? Certainly. Uh, I, I think it starts way back, uh, I think when I was uh, a kid, so 40, 40 some odd years ago, my, uh, I started as uh, my first flight lesson when I was 14 years old, my dad, my dad had some airplanes. So started off as a young individual, just interested in airplanes. Uh, My father had planes. um, uh, So it started there, Uh, went into the air force, um, started off as a, in the air force as a enlisted guy, as a aircraft mechanic uh, on fighters. Uh, so I was a fighter crew chief for about six years. And then, um, uh, I met, um, this, this gentleman, uh, was an enlisted guy and he had some wings. I saw he had wings. And, uh, of course at that time being a fighter guy, never knew that, uh, enlisted guys could fly in planes, you know, uh, again, not, not, uh, <laughs> not privy to all the information anyway learned that this guy was a flight engineer being uh, one of the guys in the, the cockpit second officer that we call him commercially so i eventually got interested and cross-trained uh, to be a flight engineer in the air force uh, uh was a air force flight engineer for 20 some years um and during the meantime i went and continued my uh pilot's uh licenses went on commercial multi-instrument ratings uh you know, along with my A&P and flight engineer tickets. So basically aviation bound, um, got out of active duty military uh, in 86, went into the reserves in 86, uh, actually didn't retire from the reserves till like, uh, 2005. But in the meantime, I got various jobs while I was still in the reserves. Uh, one was uh, Boeing Aerospace uh, training the AWACS crews there in uh, Tinker Air Force Base, Oklahoma. Uh, went on to uh, work for Federal Express in the flight training department as a ground school and simulator instructor. And it was during that time frame where I uh, became aware of Orbis and was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, actually asked to be a volunteer. So uh, I started volunteering 
as one of the crew members uh, on the Orbis aircraft, on the DC-10, the second-generation airplane, uh, in 2005. And then in 2008, took over as the director of um, aircraft operations with my maintenance background and my operations background. Somebody uh, recommended me for the job and thought uh, that I uh, could quite possibly do that job. So I've been in this position since uh, 2008 which is basically uh, responsible for all the maintenance uh, oper- uh, requirements, all the flight operations, uh, of course, along with a wonderful team that I have there in New York and also the volunteer group of volunteer pilots I have at FedEx uh, that support that, uh, that operation. But basically anything to do with the airplane, be there maintenance or operations. Right. And I know you all operate uh, the MD-10, which is sort of a unique and, you know, kind of classic uh, airplane within commercial aviation. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about where does that airplane primarily fly to? And uh, just, just a little bit of background on, on that MD-10 and, and sort of how you all have sort of reconfigured it into this flying eye hospital. Certainly. Um, as I mentioned or alluded to a little bit, this is actually our third generation airplane. Our first uh, aircraft that uh, launched in 1982 was a, was a DC-8. Needless to say, a much narrower airframe, had some limitations. Um, uh, then we flew that till 92, and then we picked up a DC-10 that we operated in, uh, and so, which was a much wider body airplane, uh, which gave us a lot more room. Uh, but as that as the aircraft age, not only the aircraft age, the hospital age. So we basically uh, found ourselves in a scenario where we had an air, aging airframe, but more importantly, we had an aging hospital. So the hospital really became the driving factor, and we uh, we switched from the DC-10 to the MD-10. Although some of you may know that the MD-10 started off as a DC-10, but now it is a two-person cockpit, uh, all glass. Triple um, Seven Era technology, not the same technology, but that that era technology. So it 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 basically has all weather capability. Can fly in any uh, air airspace in the world. Um, uh, and basically, of course, then we had to take it from uh, its donated stage that uh, FedEx donated it to uh, us in, which was a freighter. And we had to find a way to put a hospital in it. Um, and we did the unique design that kept it as a freighter uh, and kept the hospital as freight. Uh, so the hospital itself does not function in flight, has no interconnection between the aircraft um, <clears throat> and the hospital. Uh, and it only functions on the ground when we place all the equipment on the ground and connect directly to the hospital. So it's sort of a, a, a unique uh, situation as far as the use of an aircraft and the combination of hospital. Yeah, it's a really unique operation, you know, when you just look at the name Flying Eye Hospital, it's kind of, you know, uh, a really interesting concept to, to learn about. Uh, a little bit of background for the audience about Orbis. Um, according to your website, more than 63,000 trainings were completed by doctors, nurses, and other eye care workers and community volunteers in 2018. Uh, you all also provided 2,160 patient consultations through CyberSight. Um, yeah, and you, you know, you talked about you all land the aircraft and that's when the real 
operation happens, right? Can you give us a little bit of background about that? When you do, when it does land and you all are providing some sort of training or, or consultation, what does that process look like of, of sort of adding in equipment and, and getting it prepared for that? Certainly, uh, and thank you for talking a little bit uh, about what we do there. Uh, that, I think, is really the important part. Unlike uh, many other organizations, Orbis is a training organization where we uh, uh, work in the prevention and treatment of avoidable blindness uh, in the training aspect. So we work with the local doctors, nurses, anesthesiologists in that local community in the countries that we uh, work with to give the education and training necessary for them to stand on their own at some point and do that kind of work without us. So that, that's what's really important. And, and the other part of it is the uh, 89% of the visual impaired people in the world are in the low to medium income countries. So that, that's the reason why we're, for instance, right now we're in Ghana, uh, in Africa, Western Africa. So um, when we when we land, the aircraft, needless to say, needs to go from an, what we call an aircraft mode, which is safe for flight. All the equipment is strapped down. And then, of course, because we mentioned it doesn't work in flight, when we land, we have to take this airplane from a flight safety-related aspect of transporting cargo and all of a sudden turn it into a fully functional hospital. So we we land our medical staff and our maintenance staff um on board the airplane, they they not only did they work as knock doctors, nurses, and anesthesiologists, or aircraft mechanics, or finance personnel, they also are the people that unpack everything. So we basically take everything out of its uh, stored condition, being in cases, strapped down with aircraft uh, straps and everything to the floor, and then we just convert the whole entire hospital um, uh plane back into a hospital, which we have every, every pallet position in this airplane is full. Uh, now, one thing that may be a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say misleading, but a little bit odd is the hospital's freight, but it really doesn't come out like, it doesn't come out like a FedEx container every day, right? It stays in there for months or years on end and is removed for maintenance periodically, but it doesn't come in and out daily. So if you're inside of it, in fact, if you've seen any pictures, you would hardly tell you're inside of a uh, an airplane inside of some kind of uh, what is considered freight. We then place down in the lower belly, we have our own generators that run the hospital. We have our own med gas pallets that run the oxygen concentrators within the hospital. Um, we have our own air conditioning units and special handlers for the hospital because you have to keep the OR between 68, 72 degrees, which most of us know airplanes. Uh, most of us have got pretty hot inside of an airplane sitting on the ground, but we have special air conditioners. We purify our own water, kill every bacteria known to man, make our own hospital-grade oxygen. We use jet fuel to run our generators, so we don't even need the local infrastructure to provide us with diesel fuel. Uh, we use our own fuel from the plane. So there's a lot of innovations that we took the basic airplane and had to adjust it, convert it to be able to meet the needs of, of supplying uh, all the power and, and supplies for the, for the hospital. And, and I also understand that in some of these locations, like possibly in, in Ghana and, and other uh, locations that you fly to, 
you do provide broadcast onboard teaching sessions to sort of relevant stakeholders within the global medical community. Uh, and that's really interesting, especially for sort of what our podcast and event focuses on, the, the connectivity and broadcast aspect. Um, how do you all achieve that from within side of, you know, what this airframe is reconfigured into essentially a, a hospital and then you're you're inside of there broadcasting out these lessons. How, how do you achieve that from inside the airframe? Well, that's sort of an interesting. You know, we we we've looked at this in many different ways. The previous two airplanes, as we talked about, those two airplanes, the hospital were were actually done in what we call a, a supplemental type certificate. So they were actually part of the plane. So anytime we made any changes, we had to meet the FAA requirements. Uh, when we went to this new uh, idea of keeping the hospital and the plane separate, uh, the airplane, of course, meets FAA standards. The hospital, uh, the only part of it that needs to meet the standards is the part that, like the pallets and that, that the hospital's sitting on. But the hospital itself, since it's not functional, doesn't have to go through all those same certifications. Of course, it has to go through the certifications for a hospital, but not necessarily for a plane. So one of the things we did is we have our own state-of-the-art AV and IT department within the hospital. So in that department, we, of course, have these state-of-the-art uh, media servers, IT uh, systems where we have the capability to broadcast high, in high definition um, through an internet-based system. So what we generally would do is we would go down to the local uh, IT uh, stores down there, buy a 4G hotspot uh, with multiple data plans and that would meet the speed that we would need to transmit uh, high definition um, to upload to uh, the Internet. And, of course, our system is called CyberSight. It is available publicly to anybody who wants to uh, sign up. Uh, primarily, though, that is it's 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 sort of uh, designed for the uh, eye care uh, health uh, personnel. But once they sign up in there, they have access to those to that broadcasting. In fact, we did a webinar yesterday uh, where we uh, sent up a live cataract surgery, and we had 38 uh, countries um, watching. Not only the participants there in Ghana, but 38 other countries were watching. And the more important part of it is it's interactive. We actually, since we're doing this live and we gave them access to our cyber site system, they have the ability to send a text message from 6,000 miles away to a moderator in the classroom who then in surgeon that is actually teaching the lesson and then that surgeon can respond to somebody 6,000 miles away. So it's live, interactive, high-definition education right live from the plane. Yeah, that's that's very innovative. And is it especially interesting, you mentioned 4G and you're sort of leveraging local infrastructure. Um, just kind of a follow-up question about that. So do you all have some sort of a uh, hotspot or maybe cellular card within the airframe that enables you to do this? Because like you mentioned, I mean, you're flying all over the world and there's all these different networks that you can leverage. Um, how do you sort of uh, enable that from within the airframe? 
Yeah, we, we certainly do. Uh, one, of the, one of the mods that was done to the airplane, so understand that the actual IT equipment lays in the, uh, lays in the hospital that's dormant in flight. It is not functional while the airplane's in flight mode. We did make a connection where we put the hotspots uh, throughout the aircraft. Now, there are a couple of them in the classroom, but those only function when the aircraft's on the ground as well. So any interaction that we did do with the airplane that was connected to the hospital is not functional uh, in flight. Uh, it's only on the ground. Uh, but yes, it, it's done through a hotspot uh, throughout the hospital primarily, although there are a couple in the classroom, which is technically in the airplane. Uh, we, what we did there, if you, it's hard to visualize, but FedEx, when it had a rigid 9G barrier, so if you've ever been in a freighter, you may have seen the the big cargo nets that held the cargo behind it, right? What we call right. a 9G net. FedEx right. designed a, a rigid barrier, a, a, a metal wall made out of aluminum, uh, real thick, like 10, 12 inches thick. And what we did was we took that wall that used to be up close to the cockpit uh, forward of the cargo door. We slid that back and engineered, that was part of the engineering that had to be done for to make this airplane accept the hospital. We slid that back uh, aft of the cargo door and then we use the forward section of the classroom so we have a 46 seat classroom that we use to haul our staff around but more importantly while it's on the ground it's actually a classroom which an interactive classroom where we have 3d uh, the 4g technology i mean uh, it's all state-of-the-art um, as far as technology goes yeah and, and you know speaking of sort of state-of-the-art um I, I did want to also ask about you know, con considering that you are flying to countries like Ghana, you mentioned, um, you know, tra traversing the uh, North Atlantic track system. Um, have you all made any enhancements to sort of the aircraft SATCOM or in-flight internet system on the sort of flight operations side so that you can do things like uh, tracking airplane health or, you know, observing parts that may need to be replaced. Have you done any sort of uh, modifications on that side as well? Well, we, um, the airplane, of course, because I told you that it was converted to an MD-10 in 2001. So it, it is, we are keeping up with all the current technologies on the ADS-B output. Uh, in fact, it's going through the mod for the January uh, 1, 2020 requirements for ADS-B out. It, it has ADS-B out, but as you know, uh, may know that the requirements have uh, stepped up where you have to transmit it uh, basically more often. So it's going through those. We did institute, uh, we do have some tracking now of like our, oh boy, I'm trying to remember, excuse me for the, um, we're trying to remember the, where the, the, the company that we're using. Anyway, they, they were associated with FedEx where we can track all of our cold medications internally to the airplane. Uh, it, it, it tracks even when we're shipping our medical supplies. Uh, it even tracks the temperature of the supplies in the refrigerator in the airplane. So we are starting to make those technological uh, senseware. There it is. Sensaware is the name of the, uh, the product that we're using to monitor um, our medical supplies and such. So I think that maybe is, is some of the things you're talking about there. 
Yeah, that is very interesting. You know, I've actually interviewed a couple of air cargo operators that are starting to deploy that type of operation where they're customers with, with sort of sensitive items, uh, perishable items, medicine, want to be able to tr- sort of track the parameters in real time, equip the cargo, um, you know, equip the cargo boxes with specialized sensors that then communicate those parameters to the in-flight uh, internet network or SATCOM, and then broadcast that to the customer in real time on like an, a mobile uh, smartphone application. Is that sort of the type of thing that you yep. all are doing? That, that's ex- that's exactly it. We uh, we started working with them, of, of course, through our one of our supporters being FedEx. They tied us in with them, and FedEx uses this as well. Uh, we started that earlier this year, and we implemented it in, in uh, earlier this summer. And of course, the supplies that just went out, we just shipped a, a set of supplies out to the airplane. So it starts from the point that uh, we ship our supplies out of our warehouse there in Indiana. Uh, going across the airplane through however we, uh, you know, the transportation, getting them to the location on one end to the point where we pick it up, put it into our own plane, and then we even have the sensors in the refrigerator itself monitoring. Uh, Because there are times, for instance, when we shut down the hospital, uh, the refrigerator is still functioning, but we need to make sure that um, those temperature-sensitive items don't fall outside of the tolerances and they're still usable. So, yes, that's exactly the technology that we're using. I see. Okay. And, uh, you know, considering you all are, like you, like you mentioned, you're, you're in Ghana right now, um, what is sort of upcoming for Orbis for the remainder of the year? Are there any other, um, you know, projects you're working on or, or destinations you'll be flying to? Sure. Uh, well, we just, uh, we're in, as I said right now, we're in Ghana. We just uh, came from Myanmar, uh, the last program, and prior to that was uh, in uh, Vietnam. Um, this will be our actually our last program of the year because the aircraft is uh, due to go into maintenance, but we're working on um, our upcoming program in uh, Bolivia. Um, I have them right here. Let's see. We've got upcoming, we have uh, Bolivia, Zambia, Cameroon, uh, going to Mongolia, then on to uh, uh, India later later that year. So uh, that's what's upcoming for the for the uh, 2020 season. I see. And and just for the uh, you know sort of uh, all of our engineers and, and aircraft maintenance techs out there, you mentioned you're, you're, you've got scheduled maintenance coming up. So that's uh, obviously really big interest for our audience. Anything specially planned for that? maintenance scheduled maintenance you have coming up any any modifications you'll you'll be going through yeah i think uh to, to, you know other than that it is a c-check so for those of you that are that are in the maintenance the, the, the c-checks are of course a little heavier so we do have the some structural inspections do uh the heavier c-check along with uh all of uh three of the a-checks but uh as far as mods go um we have the ADS-B mod uh, that is due um, uh, here uh, before it flies in, in 2000, uh, 2020. Uh, we also have, because of the age of the aircraft and um, um, we have the fuel tank, there's a fuel tank uh, airworthiness directive that's out that has to be completed by April on all the fuel tanks. So basically the fuel pumps have to be able to shut themselves off in the event there was ever any kind of problem, even if the pilots were not to 
to see there was a problem with a fuel tank pump. So that was one of the airworthiness directives that are out that that modification will have to be done. So uh, those are the two major ones. Okay, great. Well, Bruce Johnson, Director of Aircraft Operations for Orbis, operates the only, the world's only flying eye hospital. I uh, wanted to say thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It was a really exciting interview and to, to sort of learn about sort of the behind the scenes aspects of how a flying eye hospital works. Great. And uh, I would just say, you know, for those of you who want to follow us a little bit, you can go to Orbis.org. Uh, it'll have uh, all about the organization, but you can also find about where the Flying Eye Hospital will be for uh, the upcoming years and times. Okay. There you have it. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. Just a reminder again that you can see all of the information about our annual Global Connected Aircraft Summit at www.gcasummit.com. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III, and thanks again for tuning in to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.